Hey, hey, welcome to Why Are We Whispering with me, Jenny Gay, author, stepmom, and all-around truth seeker and teller. If you're tuning in, you too are tired of sugar-coated content and conversations. This is the place where I put a megaphone to the mouths of adults, talking about life experiences that most of us find too shameful, too uncomfortable, too traumatic, and too embarrassing to discuss openly. We dive headfirst into experiences, thoughts, and behaviors that we keep secret or hush-hush, never truly speaking honestly and openly about them, but that most of us have in common. And I'm talking about it because life can be hard, it can be ugly, and it can be painful. And guess what? It's like that for all of us. So let's stop whispering. Welcome, welcome. If you are a parent or are a soon-to-be parent, this episode today is a must-listen. We all live on devices. For most of us, it's our phone, which is our lifeline. Some of us, it's an iPad or a laptop. And our whole lives are on these devices. Our banking, our social connections, our shopping, our careers, our work. We're now in an age where children are also on these devices. It's where a lot of them do their schoolwork, which is fine to a certain extent. But increasingly, parents are allowing their kids access to the same internet, the same apps, the same games that they themselves as adults access. I really want to understand why. In the UK, 44% of kids by the age of nine have a phone. That number rises to 91% of kids by the age of 11. There are so many things that I want to tackle and unpack about this. And to help me to do that today is James Donnan. He's an IT specialist who supports the Cheshire Apple Regional Center and the Association of Network Managers in Education, and he's also a dad, a girl dad by that. (laughs) So thank you so much, James, for joining us and helping me unpack this very tricky slash controversial, many parents have different perspectives on this topic. I am very passionate and can be quite belligerent about it to a certain extent. So I'm going to try and keep my strong opinions, you know, tame. But let's start, James, with obviously you have such um, an in-depth expertise in this area and you talk to parents all the time about this as well as schools on how to keep the kids safe. So let's start with what you think the reality, like what is the actual reality of the time that the kids are spending on these devices and the ages that they're, that they're starting on these devices as well. Let's start kind of at the very beginning of it. I think first of all, the most important thing is that very much it's the reality is something that we as adults don't understand. And this is where it's increasingly dangerous in an online world, because when we were younger, there were plenty of things that we got up to that our parents didn't know about. But for the most part, when they locked us in the house at night and put us to bed, we were safe. We knew we were, they knew we were safe. And they knew that as long as we were inside that house, that we would come to no harm. And I think the the most horrible thing about the internet in general is completely international. It's completely, uh, not completely unregulated, but certainly uh, crosses borders to, that makes it very difficult for governments and for parents to regulate what their children will see. And I think the the one thing that if the, the stat the stat that struck me when I was looking at it was that less than half parents use any sort of controls 
nearly 40% of parents have never checked their teen's website history, and yet 75% of parents think that their kids haven't experienced anything bad online. Now, that is simply not true. That is burying heads in the sand. And that's why something, it, it could be written for why are we whispering this this topic, because yeah. it's something that people stick their heads in the sand about and they should be shouting about. I completely agree. And I, I often find myself, even with friends of mine, we have such vast um, like differing opinions on this topic. Um, I think a lot of my friends probably think that we're quite strict with our kids about it. Um, and they're a lot more lax, but I just feel, you know, you write when you say that you wouldn't leave your doors open. I've said that to me a million times, you know, you wouldn't leave your doors open to allow strangers in yet. We're plopping our kids in front of these devices and saying, here you go. You have access to the same porn that I can access you're going on apps like Snapchat or Instagram or all these other things where you're receiving the exact same information that I'm receiving. And then they think that no harm can come to their kids. And I'm just kind of perplexed by this approach. And I don't know if it's because as parents, there's most of us, um, you know, there's a cost of living crisis. Most of us have to work one, if not two jobs. So both parents are in most situations working. Um, so there's not enough time or you're exhausted. And so you're just kind of like, I can't entertain you. So I'm just going to put you in front of your iPad or here's a phone, go for your life. And you just don't have it in you to monitor the children. And I, and I understand the exhaustion of it's yet another thing that parents have to do when you're already working 15 hours a day and, you know, trying to keep a house clean, trying to keep your kids fed homework and all of these things. However, you know, you're letting the devil in your door. So it's one of those things that I feel like parents really need to get on top of. And it starts with really, I think, understanding the realities, the real reality and the dangers associated with online access. Is every parent's choice how to manage the the way that they parent and their child's use of the internet but i think where you back in the day the the equivalent to oh, i'm a bit I've, I've just got home from work and i've got to make the tea or i've got xyz other jobs i need something to babysit my children we might have been put in front of the tv but that's a one-way street and at least on terrestrial television our parents had a vague idea that what we were watching at five o'clock in the afternoon was going to be suitable for us i think to do nothing not be aware of the dangers it's not just a problem for your children it's actually a problem for everyone it's a um, collective responsibility because yeah. i think parents trying to keep control of their kids access are perceived to be mean or out of touch if everybody else just ignores the dangers and I think this is why as I say why are we whispering it's a brilliant subject for it to be able to shout this and say listen you really do need to be aware you can't turn around and say oh well I didn't know about that you mm -hmm. need to make it your business to know about it absolutely and I love that you just said it's collective responsibility because I wholeheartedly believe that um, and that's one of my bugbears and, and frustrations, I think, even within my own friendship group, which, you know, this is not going to come to as a shock to any of them that are listening. <laughs> but it really frustrates me that I feel like, you know, when we're doing playdates, we have a, a no device policy. So whether, the, you know, the children's friends come to our house or our child goes to somebody else's house, I always say to the parents, no device policy. So, you know, in the event that they do have access to one, there's, we're going to have a problem. 
And that is simply because we all do have varying different degrees of what we think is okay for our kids. And so for me, complete lockdown of an iPad is necessary and my children have to earn their their iPad time. And I have friends who have no rules or regulations around it and the iPads aren't locked down at all. And they go on a, I trust my child kind of policy. And I always come from the place, their children, <laughs> they shouldn't, they can't be yep. trusted. Mm. It's healthy for them to push boundaries. It's healthy for them to want to explore and all of those things. However, it is our responsibility as parents to ensure when they do push those boundaries, that they aren't able to access <laughs> the things that they shouldn't be seeing. And so having this collective responsibility is us all getting on the same page and saying, we don't think that it's appropriate for a child to have a phone until they can have a part-time time job. Um, and that's something I want to get into with you is um, what age you think it's appropriate for, for, or is it appropriate for a child at all to have a phone? Um, and then what we're agreeing are the acceptable games. Is it Roblox? Is it YouTube kids? Is it, you know, and having just a collective agreement because if your child's exposed to something that they shouldn't be seeing, guess who's going to hear about it? My child. Absolutely. And this is what we're also trying to protect our kids against. So we can't do it on our own. We need all parents to kind of be, as you said, collectively responsible and all agree on what we think the parameters should be. So going back to the iPhone uh, point, I always like, this is again, (laughs) one of my bugbears. Why does a child, James, need an iPhone? I don't understand. What business are they conducting? Who are they calling? What do they have a, you know, a bank account I don't know about? Do they have an email address they're receiving emails on? I don't understand why kids need a phone. Okay, so this is where I think um, collective responsibility clashes up against reality um, because you mentioned that over 90% of children by uh, seniors going to senior school age have uh, a, a device and most of those in this day and age are going to be smartphones they're going to have internet access it's quite difficult as I think you found yourself to be that parent that says you don't need a phone you're not getting a phone and whilst For some families, that is the right decision and absolutely the right thing to do. For other people, it will lead to fear of missing out and um, a a reluctance to listen to anything that parents say. It's uh, sometimes more likely that people will go behind other people's back. It's not, like I said at the beginning, it's not my job. And I always say this to parents when I offer them advice in school. It's not my job to teach you or tell anybody how to set boundaries or how to be a parent. But the the most important thing, I think, to answer your original question, sorry, I've gone off on one, is I think think every, every, there is a lot of pressure on parents. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are one of the 10% of children that doesn't have a phone at the age of 11, and particularly as so much of their social uh, interaction away from school uh, isn't hanging around street corners anymore, isn't going playing football in the park after school, uh, so much of it is done online, uh, group chats, uh, messages, sometimes social media, although most of the social media platforms do recommend that you're 13 plus for an account. Many children have, not necessarily Facebook these days, that was my social media, but uh, Snapchat or TikTok, 
Instagram accounts. And I think that's where there's a, a very difficult balancing act for any parent to do because no matter how convinced you are of your own strategy and no matter how determined you are that you're quite you're quite within your rights to suggest I, I for what it's worth I agree with you that that a child doesn't need a mobile phone it then becomes very difficult to stick to that line yeah and and one of the I'm finding um one of the reasons a lot of my friends are giving for allowing their child to have a phone is well and now keep in mind these are kids that are 10 11 years old so babies oh well she's taking the bus so she needs a phone when she's on the bus i don't think that washes because if you felt that way we have four-hour school trips that go out uh if the teacher has to be in contact or the parents need to be in contact with the teacher or the teacher needs a phone for emergencies we have a couple of nokia bricks that go out um, you know, literally the type of phone that I might have had 20 years ago. And that to make emergency phone calls, that's all you need. So the argument, well, they need to be contactable doesn't exclude you from, it doesn't excuse you from having a smartphone. No, I, I completely agree. I think it's just one of those things that we're, we're telling ourselves to make our, ourselves feel better about the fact that we've acquiesced to our child's demand for a phone. So going back to access to... Um, to certain things and, and the game going to specifically gaming, what are some of the apps that you're finding most kids are accessing and what the, are the dangers that are associated with those child-friendly apps? The most likely issue, certainly in the 11 to 16, let's say, age group, the, the biggest issue that we find is social media. And it's, there are two issues here. One is, and I'm sure you've experienced this yourself with any use of devices that you have, with the best one in the world, there is some stuff that ends up on uh, a, a recommended or a suggested for you type feed on most of the big social media platforms that is one step away from pornography. It's uh, very suggestive. There's something come up on my timeline recently uh, that's a lady who is clearly a swinger and whilst I don't believe I've typed anything in to Facebook to make them think that that's something that I will be interested in, that is something that is therefore a possibility that any child, even with the, the most limited range of uh, friends and with a completely locked down device, could have that. The other side of the issue for me is uh, the social um, interactions with friends and their FOMO, as they call it, or fear of missing out. I think, from my perspective, um, that is the most dangerous thing. Although, yes, and we'll come on to talk about this, there are bad people in the world. There is content on the internet that is really damaging and will be really, really unsuitable for young people to see. But I also think that the biggest impact that most teens, preteens will have with the use of the internet is its control on their life. The fact that they get into social media, that that becomes their friendship groups, that they only learn to talk to one another behind in a, in a chat sense effectively that they don't want to talk to people in real life have a two-way conversation they want to see somebody send a chat and then think about how to respond to it and I and as you say when you are the parent or anybody is the parent who chooses to restrict below what 
some people allow, you then become the baddie. And I think it's that is that's actually the more dangerous thing for me about social media. There is inappropriate content, but actually it's the, the, the fear of missing out thing that I think actually affects them the most. And do you think that that can then trip into bullying? Massively, absolutely. But what, what it also means is that it's very, very difficult to control because when I was young, uh, if I was at school and I was bullied, it was dealt with by the school. If I was at home, I was within my four walls, I was safe. If I was out and about, there might be the odd issue, but I could move away from it, I could diffuse it, I could be out of the way. If you are connected to a social media platform and anything is said or done, there's two problems. Firstly, it is 24-7 and the parent may not have access to any of that information. Secondly, particularly as a lot of peer interaction with young people takes place at school and as you know at our school we work very very hard to um, support uh, the girls pastorally and to look after them but with the best will in the world if it's going on on somebody's device at seven o'clock on a Sunday evening it's quite difficult for us to get involved even though those two girls know that they they know each other through the school yeah. and so I that's where the issue is that um, it's it's very difficult to control um, things unless, and this I think is the next big issue that I'd like to, to talk about, unless you have this two-way conversation and this open relationship with your child as a parent about what is going on in their digital lives. I agree. And I one of the things that we have found is there's, these kind of WhatsApp chats that are popping up, I think, with each of the year groups and um, separate WhatsApp chats that are ha happening as well with certain cliques um, outside of that classroom chat. I just, yeah, I think it's a gateway for certain into bullying and isolation. Um, and it's something that in order to enable or in, sorry, not enable, sorry, in, or, in order to ensure that your child is not participating in the bullying or on the receiving end of the bullying is, as you said, you have to have that kind of open dialogue with your child in the home. So preempting the behavior. So if you're saying, if you see one of the girls in that WhatsApp chat saying X, Y, and Z about another, you're not to participate in it and you should be shutting it down. So you should be actively saying this is not appropriate language, or I don't you know, want to be a part of that and kind of empowering the kids to stand up for themselves through the online community because we would do that if we were saying they're being bullied in the playground so we Absolutely. need to kind of bring that into the online realm as well and to say to our kids if you are the one bullying there are consequences so you can't you don't just have like carte blanche like i'm going to be monitoring what you're saying i'm going to have access to this um this device and if I see any kind of bullying behavior, there's a consequence. And I don't think that that's happening. I, I, I agree with you to the extent that I think parents need to know what is going on at an age appropriate level. So certainly at the, even if you, even if you take out of the equation, the fact that you'd prefer younger people not to have a, a device, if you are an 11-year-old online in an online world, 
it is vital that the vast majority of what you do and your interactions with the internet are monitored because at that age you have no experience or the first year or so of being allowed to be on the internet you have no experience you have no idea what you are meant to be doing and you have no idea what the day you may as you said to use your expression babies they are not going to be aware of what could possibly um, be awaiting them out in the big bad world wide web and that why I think that in the beginning it has to be graduated because if you are a 17 year old and mum wants to read every single message that you send that 17 year old isn't going to have accounts that you're going to see they'll dutifully set up everything and show you everything and then they'll have something else set up that you don't know about so it's vital that there's a two-way conversation and it's graduated at an age-appropriate level. And again, sadly, whether whether you like this or not, I think society decides that. What we've got to shout about is doing nothing is not an issue. Leaving your front door open, metaphorically, is, is not an option um, to us. And I think that's where um, the, the parents... Are, this is why this podcast is so vital, that parents get to hear that sitting there and... You know, you're doing society a disservice by not being part of that online education, just as you wouldn't dream of telling everybody proudly that your children don't get fed or they don't have a bed to sleep in. So you mustn't be saying, I think it's just as harmful, metaphorically, that they're allowed to go into the the, the wide world by themselves at the age of 11 or at any age. So it has to be this conversation. Yeah. Agreed. And, and I think some of the stats would, would absolutely shock a lot of parents as well, specifically around bullying, online bullying, um, as well mm-hmm. as porn access. So I came across loads of different stats and they're all basically saying the same thing that since lockdown, a lot of these numbers have also um, gone up. And I'm sure that you can probably, I'm sure the amount of yeah. schools that have asked you to come in or parents that have asked you to present um, has probably increased since lockdown as well. So one of the stats that I thought was absolutely shocking was that there was a 70% increase amongst kids since lockdown spreading hate speech and bullying online. Yeah. And between uh, and between the ages between 8 and 16, 90% of kids between the ages of 8 and 16 have seen online porn. 90%. That's that's astonishing if you think about it. This is supposed to be an 18 plus thing. Pornography should not be available to under 18 year olds. So to say that over 90% have seen some pornography. Following up on that stat, one of the bits of information I found was that a larger proportion of that encountered it by accident. Not many actually searched for it. Sometimes they say they accessed it in part, at least, to learn about sex, which is another example of the importance of a a two-way conversation. We know that nearly 90% of porn scenes contain physical aggression. It is, that is, young people have to realise that isn't what a loving relationship looks like. And I know if you cast back to your previous podcast with Cindy Gallup, I think that covered that really, really well, uh, how much of an issue that is. So I won't go over that ground again. But I think certainly to say that if you as a parent are not having that two-way conversation how does your child know that that is not the best place to learn how babies are made you know 
clearly there is a there is an element sometimes the sex and relationships education in school however well done and however well intentioned is not going to catch kids um imagine they're not going to think that we know we're not really cool we're not that's the way i remember it from being young anyway that we're not really cool and we don't really know what we're talking about we don't really know what goes on among young people all of that is maybe true but it doesn't negate our position as parents and as educators to want to improve that and to to make sure that whilst the information that you need to find out needs to be out there you need to find things out for yourself at a a time that's right for you not to be pushed into it not to be forced to view it or to have it pop up on your device without any warning and then uh, because again there's all sorts of um mental health uh difficulties that can come from that in later life absolutely um i think there's um there was a really great stat that i read about the percentage of suicidal thoughts so i think it was kids between 10 and 16 who accessed or shared sexual content or vi- uh, violence or cyberbullying have up to a 50 percent higher risk of suicidal thoughts so when we're looking at the suicide rates um, specifically amongst boys, um, it, it, there's definitely a correlation. Um, and we need to really get a, a good handle on this because the access that our kids have to violence and um, misogynistic sexual content um, and, and violent sexual content is high and it's having a negative impact on their psychological development and their emotional development. I think so. I think as well that it's, like I say, just to understand that, uh, again, Cindy covered this in your previous podcast in much better than I could, but that it's far better to remember that there are plenty, it's like, almost like um, the, the the problem of uh, sort of filters and so on on social media. Uh, you know, we're not all living our best lives all the time. Life can be messy. Life can have issues. You can have bad days as well as good days. And the same applies in uh, sexual relationships as well. And certainly when uh, kids have access to material that they shouldn't have, and particularly if that's where they learn about those things. Uh, and for a, a decent number of children, that if, if parents don't have suitable talks about all sorts of things not just internet safety but regarding relationships and similar that's where they're learning these things and that's where they're getting this uh very very narrow-minded information about what a loving sexual relationship looks like yeah i mean you're nailing it on the head and and when cindy um came on the podcast and was talking about this it was like a light bulb moment for me which was you can't just talk to your kids about sex and where babies come from. You simultaneously have to talk to them about pornography because we are putting them in front of devices at a rate of knots and their access is only increasing each year they get older. And so that will be very confusing for them. If you've talked to them about where babies are made and you've framed it in a certain way, but you've not told them and as Cindy framed it as when we watch to kind of, if for those listening, go back and watch the the um, the episode or, or see, go yes, see the, um, the Instagram uh, Why Whisper podcast Instagram page because it's brilliant. And essentially, she's saying 
that you have to frame it as in there's documentaries made for films and there's action movies made for films and the documentaries are real life and the action movies are fake. And the same is for pornography and sex. So one is real, one is not. Um, And that's not what a loving relationship looks like. Um, And it's going to be confusing when you come across these videos because you will, someone will, a friend will show you or you'll accidentally come across them yourself or you'll purposely come across them yourself and it will be confusing. And so when that happens, you come and talk to me. So having that open dialogue with your kids is really, really important. And I I wanted to touch a little bit on, you mentioned um, the statistic about kids accidentally coming across um, pornography online, which I think happens way more often than any of us would, would like to admit. Um, I recently had an incident with one of our, um, I wouldn't say it wasn't an incident, but there was a moment that we had with our child and I was driving a bunch of the kids to a birthday party. And one of them had said that her brother had watched this really funny video on his iPad on YouTube kids. Okay. So for parents out there who think YouTube kids is safe, um, I, you know, there's, there's more to it than I think meets the eye. So she was saying that there was a cartoon of Bluey, two Bluey characters, um, and the song that they were singing was called Put My Willy in Your Butt. And it was essentially two Bluey characters um, fornicating on um, YouTube kids, but the child obviously didn't really know what they were watching because it was two cartoon characters that were familiar to them. Uh, but the song they thought was really funny. And again, I don't think they really understood what the song was saying. So there are, there are people, predators that are infiltrating kids um, apps and um, getting them to watch videos. Because if you go through the vortex, if you were watching Bluey and you watch a few different um, episodes, let's say on YouTube kids, by the time you get to the bottom of it, this is where these um, fake um, episodes, if you will, are, are being shown. So it was just really kind of (laughs) a traumatic moment for me thinking, oh my, I'm not going to be the one to tell, you know, that this is inappropriate, but I was just thinking, driving my car, horrified, listening to this conversation. Um, and these are the things that I think parents really need to be aware of, um, that you think your kid is safe sitting in something in front of something like YouTube kids, because it has the name kids in it. Right. Um, You would but I think actually that's that's part of the problem that, again, this is the amount of content that there is on the Internet. It is not it's not like you're watching BBC One. Uh, it's not like you're um, watching something that has been decided that it is legally for this country. It is going to be of an appropriate age for these children. It could be anything, anywhere, anytime. And yeah. of course, people are going to try either for mischief or for more nefarious purposes, they're going to try and get stuff into um, the what they would consider to be YouTube kids. And it's a fact of life. Just like, as we'll hopefully talk about shortly, um, there are smart kids will try and get around technical blocks for anything on the internet. So smart or you know bad actors, if you like, will want to try and get into YouTube kids. So just because something's in YouTube Kids doesn't mean that you are 100% sure. And it's certainly not possible to sit in the other room making tea while your child has access and think that you're doing everything you need to do. Yep. Because 
you know, with the best one that, you know, you might think you're perfectly safe walking down the street to the shops. As long as you're on the pavement and you take care when crossing the road at the zebra crossing and then somebody comes hurtling through the red light at the zebra crossing. You know, you, you, you can't you can't think that that's not a possibility. Having said that, it's about um, age appropriate understanding of risk and i one of the th- you might expect me to say this as an eye tech technician but i think one of the dangers is that the internet can't be ignored it, you can't protect children forever and actually so much of modern life relies on it yeah. booking appointments online banking and if you let your kids uh if you don't give them any access at all then when they come to being outside of your control whether that's at 18 or even later they're likely to make those mistakes at a far more critical stage in their life so yeah. you have to teach them and nurture them as they grow up hence again why are we whispering what a fantastic opportunity to say this is something we've got to shout about to get people better at and i i thought let me just tell you one funny you mentioned then about the the bluey cartoon there's a, a fantastic thing doing the rounds we're just coming up to christmas so of course lots of families will be logging onto the on-demand services for christmas movies and if you search for home alone which is a beautiful lovely Love um, that <laughs> yeah i don't know if you know where i'm going with this but if you search on i think it's sky on demand for home alone you've got home alone you've got home alone 2 and the the, the sequels two and three i think there's been a couple of them and then at the bottom you've got horny moms home alone with their dildos no and you search on home alone um i don't know if they've they've picked up on this or if they've done something about it or if you can forgive me i don't have sky on demand so i don't know if that's something that you can block you can block certain content or certain types of content but this come when you if you if your child were to search for that wholesome christmas movie home alone on sky on demand that could come up. So it is simply not a, enough to say they're on YouTube Kids or that they've, they've got restrictions on their iPad. Absolutely. And another another one for you <laughs> on, is Roblox. So yeah. my kids are obsessed with Roblox, um, as I'm sure millions of others are. Um, but years ago when they first started getting on it and we were not really wise to you know, we were very naive. It's a chill. We thought it was a children's um, gaming app, blah, blah, blah. So we weren't really wise to some of the, the, the darker sides of things. And um, I just kind of popped my head over my daughter's shoulder at the time. And there was a chat function happening on the side. And I said, Oh, you know, who are you chatting to? And she's like, Oh, no, no. Um, we, we had unbeknownst to me, like been made it so she couldn't chat back. Um, but you could still see the stream of chat happening and it was all sexual grooming chat and you could tell like as an adult I could tell that it was it was somebody trying to get a child to do something in the chat yeah. happening so yeah. I just I ripped yeah. the iPad out of her hands and I was like we're shutting this down until I figure out how to shut this off yeah um, but it was horrifying and I just read now on Roblox and we have to keep in mind Roblox is a user generated gaming app which has its own array of issues with that. And it's multiplayer games as well. So there's interconnectivity happening between different people, different homes, different countries, whatever. So you don't know that your child's actually playing against another child unless you lock down that function. So they can only play certain games with friends that you've invited 
that you know and you've invited in. But I just read as well that Roblox is now having a new dating function and it's 17 plus, which I'm pretty sure dating apps have to be 18 plus. So why have you heard about that? I've not. I think it's certainly something there are. One of the difficulties with any sort of regulation of the Internet is that unless you go down sort of the, you know, the communist state way of uh, restricting everything that your citizens can uh, can receive and, you know, Clearly, there are there are parts of the world where that is the case, but uh, in most of the Western world, it isn't that. I think you know you can find virtually anything you could possibly imagine, and plenty of things that you couldn't on the internet. I think this is something where I don't honestly know uh, that any legislation can do anything to that effect. They they can have got you know we've we've already seen it's absolutely failed with social media. And I think part of the reason, the, the 13 plus thing for a lot of the American social media is where ostensibly in America, you don't have to collect personal data and parental permissions from parents if they are over 13, if they sign up for an account on your platform. And I think to, to in a lot of respects, it's, it, in some regards, it makes it that uh, a a platform that with certain supervision, with proper supervision, would be perfectly safe for an 11-year-old to be on, then suddenly becomes 13+. plus. But then you've got plenty of people, plenty of apps or platforms where huge amounts is going wrong um, with, uh, you know, teenagers, say. And like you say, that, of course, anyone, it's the modern-day equivalent of the man with the Macintosh going and hanging out at the kids' playground. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So it is, it's, it's terribly difficult because it is a worldwide thing and it's very difficult to legislate for, um, to say, and this is why I think a lot of people now are wanting to put pressure back on big tech. You are making all these profits, you are make, get, making advertising revenue, you have huge power in our lives. You have to, t- it's not acceptable to say, uh, oh, well, that, per- that that video that you mentioned of Bluey being on uh, YouTube Kids for a week is perfectly acceptable because we took it down as soon as we could. No, it needs to be down within half an hour. If somebody's put that up and it's you nefarious... You to put it up. They need... Well, it's difficult because a lot of the... If you, if you believe in YouTube as a means, and there's lots of people, including myself, who use YouTube as a means of getting, you know, perfectly acceptable information out to a wider audience... You, if you want people to be able to upload stuff, there, there needs to be more curation. There needs to be more. Cindy said about her site with um, curating the, the stuff that she wants to go on it and yes. make it simple uh, for the age groups that it's intended for. I think this is something where big tech is going to have to get its house in order, whether it's going to be done whether AI has a part to play in it, and that's a whole other issue that we haven't got time to talk about. Yeah. But whether there is, um, because some computer filtering can look for, you know, certain red flags or certain things, can chat rooms be monitored by uh, automatically, or does it have to have a human being? But whatever the, whatever the answers are, they have to be accountable for them. Yeah. It it's it's just seems like a minefield at the moment, um, and and you know I'm not by any means saying like kids shouldn't have any access and you know any of this, but as you mentioned, it needs to be in an age appropriate 
uh, manner. And it needs to be gradual. You know, as the kids get older, of course, they're going to be and want to be exposed to and, and to, to different things. And I and in a healthy way, I think that that's totally fine. Um, but like you said, not having any measures in place is not is not acceptable. Um, so let's talk a little bit about or a lot about actually <laughs> the measures that parents can put in place. But then also, because I know that you you've touched on this with me before, we need to get wise to the ways that kids can get around those measures. I can give you a couple of examples of that, but that's, as a parent, there's every chance that my daughter, who is now 18, uh, probably found ways to circumvent things that I put in place when she was younger. And if you think any differently, you're naive, because kids are smart, and smart kids is what we're trying to bring up, right? Yes. So... Kids will try and bend rules. We touched on this earlier. Kids will try and push boundaries. And whilst that, in a way, in itself is healthy, you need to decide how strong your boundary fences are. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, you are responsible for that. So there's two things. The the way we've always encouraged it is as a... um, a two a two pronged attack, if you like, for this as a, a our um, pastoral uh, feedback to all our our parents and our girls has always been that. Uh, firstly, it is there are tech ideas that are out there. Uh, a couple of examples, um, for example, with uh, Apple's uh, it's just the platform that I know the best. Apple's uh, operating system, the iPad and iPad iPad OS and the iOS for the phone, uh, they have many different sets of parental controls that are in place. There are things like guided access. So if you want your child to have access to, say, BBC Bite Size or some other uh, app that you believe, yes, I'm, or some other platform that you believe is uh, all right for them, you can lock the iPad or device into that platform uh, so that they can't get out of it and suddenly decide to do something else while you're not looking. Uh, that's one thing there is also plenty that can be done with the apple id so if you are an apple family and you have mum and dad have a phone or whoever has a phone and uh, then children have devices you can uh, use uh, family sharing apple ids to make uh, uh, that you aware of controls that can be put onto the ipad themselves and i'm not going to go into that too much mainly because Apple's online instructions for this are brilliant, absolutely world-beating. They are really, really good. If you'll forgive me saying so uh, to your audience, idiot-proof. They are. If you you might think I am really not very tech-savvy and I'm not very happy with this. A lot of the most basic instruments that you can put in place, things like family sharing, things like guided access, things like screen time to uh, allow. Uh, a technical way of saying, right, you know, half past eight, uh, if I want you to go to bed, you're not sitting there. The metaphoric, the old school, uh, like I used to do, the torch with a a book under the covers to carry on reading after lights out. That's the type of thing that we can get away with. Um, We can help, the technology can help us to do. But the second part of this is going back to this two-way conversation because Tech is only half the story. As I say, smart kids will try and get around it. Um, The example I always cite when I'm doing training on e-safety is that if you change the time on your iPad, it changes the time at which that iPad might be shut off by a parent. And if the parent doesn't know that, then the parent might 
be blithely saying, okay, so I want you to stop looking at your device at eight o'clock and get yourself ready for bed. But if the child has suddenly put the time back on their iPad by four hours, they've got till midnight in the real world. And this is the incredible. <laughs> shocking. Yeah, exactly. Who knew? It, well, it catches out so many people. And like I say, I can't claim to be the world expert. I'm absolutely sure that over the years, at points, my daughter has got round things that I've put in place. And I'm still, to this day, none the wiser. So that is why it is not all about... The technical side is brilliant. And I would... We haven't got time, I'm sure, to go over every single thing and every every single possibility. But if you go to... I think it's apple.com forward slash families. There is a brilliant, brilliant set of instructions for all the different things that Apple do. And I'm sure that Android... Um, if you're a, a Google or a Samsung family uh, uh, or uh, different devices on the um, desktop uh, computers, Macs or uh, Windows-based devices, I'm sure there are similar things. I'm just most familiar with the Apple ones because that's what I have in my home. Um, but the, the second side of it is you still need to have this two-way conversation. You can't believe that any system that you put in place to protect your child is 100% effective and that's where the two-way conversation and the graduated access at an age-appropriate level so that when if somebody showed them something in the playground god forbid and it makes them scared or frightened or confused or upset that they know that they have people to go to. It might not be parents. It might be um, pastoral teams at school. It might be uh, older. Buddy, we have a buddy system that our sixth formers are absolutely fantastic at looking after some of our younger girls. And they can remember what it was like to be 11 or 12, probably a lot better than I can. And I think those things, that the important thing is that they feel, any child feels, that if something happens online, and they're not sure about it, or they're not sure if they've done the wrong thing. It is non-judgmental. It cannot be a, what have you done that for? It's, it, it cannot be done that way. It has to be a, a, a very grown-up, two-way conversation where if something's gone wrong, even, even if it's their fault, even if they know, mum, I searched for this, the, the important thing is that it's not, um, there might be consequences, to be sure. All parents would... Yeah. would scream at me if I said oh you know you can do whatever you like and nobody's allowed to shout at you there might be consequences but the when you stopped ranting and raving you have to be prepared to help if there is if somebody's got chatting to someone and they think you know this isn't right or if somebody has um purchased and made an in-app purchase and cost money that uh, this this was a big thing it's less i think people are a little bit more aware of it now but it was a big thing a few years ago where people would download free apps at the point of use and then there are a lot of in-app purchases that you can make and people yeah. can spend horrendous amounts of money in the in the worst cases but they're designing so, these apps knowing that parents aren't monitoring it the way they should so that's why they're it, it's a huge money-making tactic any business person, there are there are um, retailers who go out of their way to attract um, people in society. Let's say, let's politely say, who may be struggling with credit ratings or that may be uh, not able to obtain preferential terms from the wider marketplace. And of course, they get they get charged more because they would argue it's a, a, a more of a significant risk on their part to take on somebody with a, a, a worse credit rating. That happens in life. Yeah. But 
and uh, app makers and uh, any opportunist of any, you know, that's the guy that uploaded the Bluey cartoon onto YouTube Kids because it will be funny because they'll get a bit of advertising revenue until it gets taken down because lots of kids will tell lots of other kids about it and it spreads like wildfire. And again, yeah. social media plays a part in that. So I think, I think yes, there are there are bad actors at every level, whether it's the, you know, the 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 um, miscreants on the internet, whether it's even if it's big tech, you could argue. I would still argue that a lot of social media at its most basic level does good for society. Other people may disagree with that, but I, I still, I'm lucky enough um, to have lots of colleagues and lots of friends who live further away who I get to see what they're up to in their lives and they get to see what's happening in mine. So I do think there are places for these things, but these people need to be held accountable and that will only happen with and again, it's difficult to legislate. So the best thing is for parents to know about it. And parents, if, if, if uh, a particular platform knows that it's got a horrendous uh, security flaw in place or that a chat room isn't the most appropriate thing for their 11-year-old clientele, then it's parents that have got to say, well, my child isn't going on there. You're not going to get any revenue from advertising from my child. The best way is for people to be aware of what is happening and making their decisions, and that is where doing nothing is simply not an option. Yeah. Uh, going back to your point, and it, it actually just kind of had a little bit of a light bulb moment when you um, you mentioned this the stat around parents not checking their children's search his, histories, um, and then you made the, the comment just now, and that, that was at the beginning of the po- podcast, and now you just said, you know, when you do check your child's history – and you see what they're searching, you know, not blowing up at them, but having that two-way dialogue is is important to talk them through that. I think that that's it's it's a learning point or a learning opportunity that that I'm going to when that time comes and it will come for me as it will for all of us, where I check my child's search history and I see things that mortify me, but using that as a as a tool to open up a dialogue about sex or about the thing that they're curious about and being the, the port of call, I guess, for them to come to for information going forward rather than using the internet for it. So, you know, if they are searching up sex or oral sex or whatever, because they heard something on the school playground saying, okay, you know, mommy just saw that you searched that up. Um, and I'm sure you saw things that were confusing to you. I want to talk through that with you. And so next time when you have a curiosity about your body or other people's bodies that you come to me first. So using, you know, those moments almost of mortification as um, a learning exercise with your child. I think this is something very much so. And I think this is something that actually we as parents, even literally half a generation earlier, were much, oh, this isn't, the birds and the bees talk was a big embarrassing thing that uh, mum or dad or whoever at home was having to build themselves up to you know it was almost like the sit down in the study type conversation mm-hmm. whereas it needs to be a part of and again why are we whispering it is something that we can talk about clearly there are some conversations that you're not going to want to have with great auntie Ethel in the car yeah. but for either of you but I think to be able to have this uh, openness to say if you if your child feels they can come to you and say Mum, Dad, what's this mean? Uh, I was 
or, or like you say, if you see it as the result, they might not feel that they want to have that conversation with you. So they look online and you see it and you then start the conversation. And that's, it's tough. It's, it's the hardest part for me as a parent going through uh, those teenage years was that conversation. And I'm pretty good with girl- the fact that uh, I, I have a daughter was uh, no problem to me because I'm quite happy around it. I've spent all this time in a girl's school. I'm quite happy with that company. But I think it was quite difficult to build up that. That's And it's something that might not happen the first time. You might have a conversation. They might shut off. They might shut up. Oh, God, mum's talking to me about this. And that's that's something that you you can't allow that to put you off. You still need to persevere. Just say, well, you know where I am. Uh, if there's anything you want to ask or if there's anything that um, you, you're not sure about or that I can talk to you about any time and make sure that when they come to you, and it's invariably, uh, um, you know, five minutes before bedtime and they want to have this conversation uh, and it's something it's really really important and or you're just about to go out or you're just about to go to work or anything like that and you have to try wherever you possibly possibly can even if it means you get to your drinks appointment 15 minutes late even if it means um even god forbid if you've got an understanding boss you're in work a few minutes late you've got to try and have that conversation you've got to try and make sure or at the very least if you can't you have to say listen this is really important i'm glad you've asked me about this i can't chat now but I'm going to. I, we we must talk about this. Yeah. I'm making it very much on a level because I think some of parenting is sort of parent and child. You know, uh, I'm in charge. You do what I say, and this is one of those areas where it very definitely has to be. You're passing that knowledge on. It's a very light touch for me. I agree, and whether we like it or not, the um, not just the internet, but the access um, through devices has just created a whole level of complexity for parenting that has never been um, seen in history. So we are learning as we go. We need to knowledge share. We need to do more things like this about having really honest and open conversations um, about it. Um, Because there's not really a a right way to do this because everyone has a different approach. But if we all kind of share the information, then we can do better than what we're doing right now. And I think that that's really, really imperative. I think the one positive, because everybody likes a, a positive ending, is that young adults, I think, are much more aware of the issues and the dangers than maybe the first generation of uh, internet users were. Mm-hmm. And they're the people that are going to shape the future of the World Wide Web. They're going to shape the future of uh, parenting for parents who may not be the most tech-savvy. May, may, children these days are very much digital natives, and if you don't work in technology or you're not particularly keen on technology yourself, it's very, very difficult. But just being aware, being shouted out about, which is why it's such a, a fantastic subject to do your, your podcast on. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your, your expertise and your knowledge um, and your experiences. Um, and if anyone is listening and has any questions um, or wants more information about how you can come in and and either to a school or to speak to a parent and do a session um, on online safety, please send me a message on the at Why Whisper podcast Instagram. Um, and I guess we'll leave it there. So thank you so much, James, for coming in. Thank you so much, Jenny, for having me. Thank you for listening to the Why Are We Whispering podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening and leave a review.
You can also follow us on Instagram at Why Whisper Podcast. And don't forget to speak up and out. Let's stop whispering.